0: This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude; it's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and James Hill. Headteacher Catherine Burblesing is defending a ban on praying at her school in the High Court this week. Andrew Tettenborn has written about it for Coffee House in one of the most read pieces this week, and Fraser, you've also written about it for your Telegraph column this week. Can you tell us what's going on here?
1: I think this is a fascinating case, and what's on trial here isn't, of course, just the fate of one school, but it raises really big questions of who we are as a society and how we all rub along together. Now, the Michaela Community School, that is a free school set up 10 years ago by Catherine Singh—it it is a phenomenon. Of course, it's well publicised because she is such a public figure. She's been on television as Britain's strictest headteacher, etc. And that might lead a cynic to think, well, maybe she's just a self-publicist and her school isn't up to all that. But we do quite a lot of data mining at the Spectator, which I never fail to mention in these podcasts. And we look to every single secondary school in England for what's called the attainment date, how much progress people make. I mean, anybody can get great A-levels if you're cherry-picking the brightest um, people who pass 11+. Most grammar schools are guaranteed fantastic um, A-level results because they choose the most academically gifted 10- and 11-year-olds. But Catherine Berbalsing's school, a quarter of them are in free school meals. They don't select by ability, and yet they get um, the better results than your average private school. Two-thirds of A-levels are A or A-stars, and they are number one in the whole country. Every single um, school in England does worse than Michaela Free School when it comes to where students were versus where they end up. So when it comes to improvement, surely the sign of good education, it is a phenomenon. And I think it's quite significant that rather than being, you know, given a, a knighthood or a peerage or have people emulate the school, she's ending up in court because she's being sued because of his of eth- his secular ethic that she's got. It as in, with a lot of inner city schools, you have Jews, Muslims, Hindus, and she has got a quite a strict culture there, that you basically leave religion behind. She wants them to have lunch together. It sounds quite strange, but it's a really important part of the ethos. What's different about that school is the behaviour. It's not so much the teaching, it's the fact that they say to them, look, your lunchtimes are not your own. When you walk in the corridor, you're not allowed to speak unless you're saying hello to a teacher. It's incredibly strict. At times, the kids sit in groups of six, they're told who they sit with. And one of them will go up and fetch the food. Somebody else will leave a table. The other person will serve it. Somebody else wipes the table, takes away the crockery. In other words, they break bread together. So you have um, you know, Sunni, Shia, Jews, Muslims, Sikhs. Everybody sits together at the table. And when they first started doing this, And the the staff noticed that the kids were self-segregating because of their religious beliefs. So they didn't want to see gangs of Hindus over here and Muslims over there. They wanted everybody to mix. So this culture of theirs is the secret sauce. Everybody gets together. Everybody gives up something. Everybody sacrifices something. In this case, they're all having vegetarian food that none of them really want. But that's to denote we're not going to let religious obstacles stop us as classmates, stop us becoming full members of this school. It's a phenomenon, and it was working very well until one day somebody sued the school for not for the
2: prayer ban which they imposed, and it's now in the High Court. I just, on that point, I think what's really interesting is that, as Fraser says there, you know, the Andrew Tettenborn piece is one of the most read. His own piece has sparked a quite a reaction online. But what's so striking is the contrast between all that and the failure of any, I haven't seen any politicians, they tweet about it or Mm. share about it or actually try to get involved in this debate from the two main parties. And I think this is what's quite telling here. You see, this is just the latest sort of incident involving um, Muslim communities and schools across the country. In 2021, there was the uh, Batley teacher who had to go into hiding uh, after showing people's uh, uh, Muhammad uh, Muhammad cartoon. Uh, Then last year, there was the um, alleged... You know, supposed scuffed Quran incident in another mm. school in in Yorkshire, uh, and now there's this case. And I think what's really interesting is how um, the classroom now is not just a sort of room between the teacher and, and the parents. This this whole thing got escalated to the high court because there were petitions online, thousands of people were signing it. Different groups involved. Um, schools complaining of I think online harassment, etc. And so what's going to be the challenge I think in the teaching of the twenty twenties and twenty thirties is th- with things like you know social media, ability to record teachers, etc. These debates aren't going to be confined to the classroom. They're going to be increasingly split out and politicised. And what is so striking is the contrast with politicians not willing to be leading that. It's much more about community groups, for instance. And I would just simply compare the contrast between that and say for instance last week when Rishi Sunak happily put out a video with Lee Anderson talking about Bristol University and the National Anthem so some politicians are very keen to get involved in some culture wars but very much not others.
0: Fraser it is strange isn't it you'd have thought that this would be quite fertile ground for the Conservatives um, you finish your column in the Telegraph by saying that perhaps the Conservatives could in their last few months can do a lot more than make sure that the law is on Singh's side do you think they will do anything?
1: Well, I'm actually astonished at this, and it kind of really angers me, actually, to think of how the Tories, first of all, they can't decide what they think about the subject or not. Are they going to, they went through a phase of thinking, okay, we're going to be all pro-diversity, et cetera. We're going to, Theresa May was um, posing as, as the champion of this. And then they change, and Kemi Baden comes along saying, look, we've got to fight the culture wars. They're all at sixes and sevens and can't quite make up their mind. The result of indecision is contradictory advice. So one piece of government legislation says schools have a duty to um, provide space for um, children to pray. And then another piece of government advice from last year says no schools are under no obligation to provide prayer space. So this is a mess. And one of the trademarks of uh, this Conservative government is just this legal mess which has ensnared everybody in the end. It's stopped the Prime Minister doing what he wants to do over Rwanda. It's you know, it, it, it's stopping welfare reform because they're terrified of judicial reviews. Everywhere you go, if you want to make a difference, you want to make a reform, you can probably be successfully sued. And that is what Catherine Singh is finding out. So I think the, um, the Conservatives, of course, they should be all square behind her. They should say, look... Here is a headmistress who wants to control the culture in her school. And she was saying, that this is what they thought, by the way, um, about a few decades ago, that the culture of a school was absolutely paramount. And by the way, it still is in the private schools. When mm. new kids join a private school, they often get very heavily punished for minor infringements of the code to drill into them that the behavior matters. Because it's not exactly a controversial idea that good discipline and respect for other people it creates good conditions for learning and that will help you with the results. So what Catherine Singh is fighting for is the right to control her own school. Now, she's got about 700 pupils, about half of them are Muslims, 350. If you're going to give them prayer rooms, where are those prayer rooms going to be? I mean, the Michaela Community School is in a converted office block. I mean, you would have this, um, I'm not quite sure how they'd manage to fit them all in. And also you would have a situation where rather than all be together having lunch, Half of the school would disappear upstairs for, for prayers if this were to go ahead. You also had a situation when the, the, some of the Muslim kids were starting to pray outside in their blazers. It used to be one, then all of a sudden it was one or two, then about 30 started. And then the staff felt there was pressure on the other Muslim kids to basically join in. Then one girl who hadn't been wearing a veil then started to. And all of a sudden the teachers and the staff lose control of the school. Now, when that happens, the chances, the conditions for learning are greatly harmed. And i tell you who this hurts most. It hits the, the worst-off people from the worst-off families. One of the funny things we all know about education is that um, children and families of high social capital, if you're, you know, during lockdown, if you're lucky enough to have a a bedroom per kid and a screen per kid, then of course you could do remote learning. But it's the people who come from more troubled families, perhaps single-parent families where the parents don't have that much time to bend over and help the the kids with the homework. They rely on the school apparatus and culture most. That's where the difference makes. So Catherine Burblesing has probably done more for Muslim pupils than any other teacher in England. And yet for this, she ends up being sued. So this is fundamentally about the head's right to support behaviour in the school. You would think Conservatives should be full square behind her. Except, of course, it's the Conservatives who have left her undefended by the law. The Conservatives, I think, are quite rightly a little bit embarrassed about how somebody who was for a long time a kind of a pin-up girl for the idea of Michael Gove's school reform, how she has ended up hounded and taken to the high courts because the Tories were so inept that they left a legal mess bad enough for her detractors to take her to court. And by the way, how many head teachers would have taken this to court? She's a fighter, Catherine is saying she is a very rare person. Um... And I can certainly understand if a head teacher was being harassed by some parents saying, "Look, you need to have prayer time at twelve fifteen in the class; otherwise, there's going to be a big campaign, and I'm going to sue you." How a head teacher might think, "Okay, well, look at the equalities legislation. I don't have much option. I've got to do this." But, if the head teachers start to make these concessions to school culture, then the whole school ethos is damaged, and the school becomes far less likely to help disadvantaged children, and that is what uh, Buring is fighting against, and also that is what in another other interesting interview with The Times, the new offted chief inspector, is also saying
0: James, let's move on to that interview now this is This is Sir Martin Oliver, the new chief. Of Ofsted giving his first interview since taking up the role. He said in that interview that in some schools there are now no-go areas where staff can't walk down certain corridors. Students say that they're for them only. Some staff are barricading themselves in their classrooms over break and lunchtime. What does this say about the state of education in the UK? Education is supposed to be one of the Conservatives' major successes Mm. in office.
2: Yeah, and I think that it's something where you can see a real uh, point of consistency over the past 14 years, which mm. is one of the uh, few things you can say. Uh, now, admittedly, of course, that's not at the ministerial level. Uh, since Michael Gove left office, uh, I think we've had a whole succession. There's one point, I think, two years ago, when the average tenancy of a, uh, a Secretary of State at the Department for Education was about six weeks at sort of World War II spitfire pilot levels. So, uh, you know, the conservatives are keen to talk about it. Unfortunately, according to you know voter priority surveys, uh, only about 3% of the public would, would rate it as one of their top voting priorities, you know, obviously typically with children. Labour, obviously very conscious of fiscal conservatism going into this election, so they're keen to talk up school standards. And the phrase there mentions Michael Gove reforms. It was very striking about a week ago when when Bridget Phillipson made her big speech, she was very much painting herself as the heir to Michael Gove, continuing that work. Because school standards, how, how, you know, how do you do things like that? It doesn't really involve necessarily huge amounts of, educate, uh, of investment, uh, but rather things like fines, etc. And, mm. and talking about... Uh, school uniforms. Uh, obviously, it's concerning. I think the the key thing, of course, is the burden that falls on teachers. We've got a bit of a teacher retention crisis. And so it's going to be one of those many issues, I think, unfortunately, facing different bits of the public sector in terms of staff morale, how the teachers feel when dealing with uh, students, that I won't be resolved this side of the election, but it's certainly one that's going to be important when it comes to the future of uh, British school kids in the years to come. But I wonder, James, when you say it won't be resolved this side of the election,
1: what the political climate will be like after? the election. I mean, the Conservatives tried, you know, again, this is one of the many things which has slipped through their fingers. They had a a reasonable chance of being the party that backs teachers, the party that backs head teachers, the party that believes in diversity in education, and believes that the solutions must come from the classroom, not from the ministry. I think that's going to be turned in its head at the next election. I think the Starmer government isn't particularly ideological, but it is very bureaucratic. Mm. I think fundamentally, they believe that good ideas should come from central government and be handed down, to the teachers. If you take Kier Starmer's idea of Odyssey, for example, he tells us he's had this great idea whereby kids are going to be taught how to, to speak in an articulate way. Now, this, when you look into it, this is the pet theme of Peter Hyman, his advisor. Peter Hyman tried it at this free school, School 21. School 21 is a, is a disastrous record, I'm afraid. It went was knocked down two notches in the Ofsted reporting. I mean, fair enough, if had or- or Odyssey had been tried in schools and had a Katherine Burbelsing style record of success, then you might look at rolling it out nationally. But if something just sounds good in speeches and you're foisting it upon schools because it makes it sound, as because it makes a little chippy point about how you can talk about how private educated people are taught to, to give speeches and the state school kids aren't, and there's absolutely no evidence at all to suggest that it works, then once again education stops becoming about kids and starts becoming all about the adults. Education yet again becomes about who about kids being moved as a piece in the chessboard so you can display your virtue. Now, I am um, I, I blame I'm afraid to say I blame the Tories very much for what happened to to Catherine Burbell, saying I see this as their kind of own idea being prosecuted, you know, something which she should have had the, the law's protection on her side. And she shouldn't just... I used to, by the way, I will confess here that until about until a few days ago, I was partly critical of Catherine Brebilsing. I agreed with those who said, look, she's done a great thing for these 700 pupils. But why didn't she set up a chain? She could have set up 5, 10, 20 free schools and be helping thousands of children, not just 700. But when you look at what she's going through now, just to keep that one school going... She, I mean, being dragged to the High Court is a full-time occupation. So, of course, she doesn't really have time to, or the energy or the resources to expand her successful formula because she has been left as a victim of her antagonists. And the people who've left her as a victim are the Conservatives. They've been the ones who've been too incompetent to clear up the law. They've been the ones who've done nothing, really, to make sure that those who want to make a difference for working-class children have got the law on their side and have got the wind behind their back. It was supposed to be uh, a policy of letting a thousand flowers bloom. That was the idea behind school reform. And the idea that once there was a successful formula, it would replicate. And we did see this for a while. We saw it in Harris schools. We saw it in ARC. We've seen it in Oasis. There have been quite a lot of, of successes, but we haven't really seen this scaled. And that is because we've not managed to get over what was always a problem. That is that successful education experiments are assailed by lawsuits, by people who manage to claim legal aid. So you end up with the taxpayers suing the taxpayer and the children being the losers. And this is what we're seeing right now. And the Conservatives never had the wit to close this loophole and to create the environment where uh, Michaela Free Schools could go on to multiply. So I don't know if Catherine Bilbissing is going to win this um, case. But if she does retire from teaching without creating another school... I don't think I'll be blaming her. I think we could all understand why. Fraser and James, thank you very much. And thank you very much for
0: listening.